0: Hi friends, it's Susan Blackwell from The Spark File, your one-stop shop for creativity where our doors are open and if you smell something delicious, that's because Laura Camion and I have been cooking up something special, something designed to make a big difference in people's creative lives. Enter The Brave Creative, a free 5-day guided adventure to rediscover the vitality energy and possibility in your creative process whether you're a writer a performer a baker a candlestick maker navigating the creative process can be a bear but never fear there's power in numbers at the spark file so let's link arms and make the trip together it's may 13th through 17th 7 p.m eastern less than one hour per day and if you can't join live don't worry about it. You can watch the replay. Join us by going to thesparkfile.com to register. And hey, if you're not familiar with the Sparkfile, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Secondly, we work with hundreds of creatives of all different kinds who are ready to take their next big step. We help folks fear less and create more in a community that is so fun and vibrant. And if you have joined us before, know that we are going deep with the Brave Creative. So buckle up, Buttercup. It is going to be an awesome adventure. Go to thesparkfile.com to register, but do it soon because it all starts May 13th. thesparkfile.com. Register now.
1: The Sparkfile podcast may contain profanity and other adult content. Please use your discretion. When I bump into something that inspires me, I dump it in my spark, fire. To be something that I wanna make or how I wanna be, I pump it in my spark, fire. I jump into my spark.
0: Welcome to The Spark File, where we believe that everyone is creative, but smart, creative people don't go it alone. I'm Laura Camion, And I'm Susan Blackwell, and we are creativity coaches who help people fear less, create more, and bring their creative visions to life. If you are an OG member of the Spark File community, welcome
1: back, Sparkler. Hey, if you're joining us for the first time, welcome, friend. Know that just by listening to this podcast, you are joining a warm and wonderful
0: clan of creatives. But you may be asking yourself, ladies, what exactly is a spark file? Uh A spark file (laughs) is a place
1: where, (laughs) where you consistently collect all of your inspirations and fascinations.
0: If you're like us and you're making stuff all the time or you want to be making stuff all the time, you know if you're not careful, your campfire of creativity can flicker out. But do
1: not despair. We are collecting kindling in the form of fresh ideas, images, and inspiration that spark creativity and pique curiosity to
0: light a fire under our collective asses to make things like this podcast. Or a lasting approach to the changes we want to make in life and in our creativity. Oh, every episode, we're going to
1: reach into our spark files and exchange some sparks. And from time to time, we're going to talk
0: to some folks who spark us too. You know what that means, Laura Kamian? What? It means we have more sparks than we can possibly use in this lifetime. A surplus of sparks. A surplus of sparks. If something lights you up,
1: we encourage you. To take that thing, get this surplus off our hands. Take that <laughs> thing and make something out of it.
0: Without further ado, friends, let's open up the, the spark, spark file. file. Laura Cameon.
1: Susie Q. It's spark time. Woo! I'm excited. I'm excited because you're going to spark me.
0: I'm going to spark you. But before I do, do you have a baby spark you want to share with me? I know sometimes you have a little, you have a little a little bushel basket full of baby sparks. Well, I did just mention that I had
1: started collecting some little, little baby sparks. I'm going to tell you something I was sparked by recently. It was an act of generosity and kindness and sweetness. Mm. So unbeknownst to me, my dad has collected like a coin collection his whole life. And last year I was on a trip to see him and I spent the whole day with him. He has Parkinson's now. And so he can't do a lot with his hands. But one of the things he can do is like sit and clean his coins. And I was like, dad, these are amazing. Where'd you get all these coins? And um, we had so much fun. We spent two full days and I just listened. I think I might've said this on the podcast before. So I apologize if I'm being redundant, but he recollected memories again, like with his Parkinson's, it's, he has like very crisp and vivid memories of the distant past, Mm. not so much of like recent past, but he would be like this coin. I was in a diner when I was 12 years old. and." saw it. It's amazing. It's like an enormous like dollar coin with like Lady Liberty and whatnot. Anyway, he had these amazing coins. And of course at the end we just spent so much time together and he was like, you know, Lulu, take whatever you want. Take whatever you want. I'm like, Dad, I'm not going to take from your coin collection. Um, and then eventually I was like, okay, I'll take like one coin with the intent on making it like into a necklace. Right. So I could just carry it with me and be Love Eve. that. And so I chose this, this penny coin from like 1863 or something and I loved it. And it also was like a tiny bit dented and stuff. So I was like, I'm not going to take any the, any Mint. of the coins that are, Yeah. Eve. So I take it and I come back here and I'm like, okay, I don't want to like drill a hole in this. I don't want the coin to be damaged. How am I going to make this into a necklace? And I thought of my friend Stephen Went.
0: Stephen Went.
1: Stephen Went because listen, friend Stephen Went is first of all, first and foremost an extraordinary human being, like just a wonderful person. Like like fucking delight of a human being. He's a blue man. He's a musician. He's an actor. He has so many talents. I could not even, it would be a dedicated episode to Stephen Went to talk about his many talents. But among them, he makes jewelry, like handcrafts jewelry. And he worked, if you want to look him up, it's Studio Went, Studio Went, W E N D T, Went. And so I went to him and I asked, Could you make this into a necklace? And so he did. He like framed it and Mm. and created a a hook for it. So it would go on the necklace that I wear, et cetera, et cetera. Yesterday, West Day comes home and he's like, Oh, yeah, I've got this. I've got this for you. And I was like, What's this? What do you mean? Just because he felt inspired to, Stephen went made me these like two char- two additional charms, like these feather charms that would go with that coin because he felt inspired and he, I don't know why, because he's an amazing human. Did I mention that? He's an amazing wow. human being. So Wes comes home and he's like, Steven made these for you. And so I added them to my necklace and I was just like, man, that just was so awesome. It was the kindest thing. Awesome. Really, really cool. And it, I got to tell you, it feels amazing to wear someone's piece of art like around your neck that they made for you with their own hands out of their own inspiration and imagination. Yeah. And Steven makes incredible stuff. If you go to his Instagram, he made like for those Harry Potter fans, he made a tiny little Quidditch ball with wings.
0: Oh, like a snitch. The snitch. Snitch, The snitch.
1: And it's so intricate and it's so beautiful. He makes rings. He makes necklaces, all of it. It's, It's amazing. Stephen made
0: a beautiful ring for my friend's daughter. Hi, Clara. For the holidays, it's a beautiful, really, really delicate gold band with this like Beautiful little diamond chiplet in it, and it's so delicate and so beautiful. And I loved seeing the picture of Clara's hand and nail polish. Did you connect them? Yes. To yes, Stephen? yes. Okay, yep.
1: yes. Because if you want something special, something one of a kind, unique, and boy, it feels pretty magical.
0: Stephen Went. I love that
1: spark. Yeah, that's my little the mini spark. Mini spark du jour, Stephen Went. Thanks for going with me there. It took a minute, but
0: now just spreading the love, just acts of kindness.
1: Kindness and creative kindness. Like when you give a gift of yourself that is yeah. born of your creativity, damn, there's just nothing like it. Nothing better.
0: I just gave someone one of my paintings <gasps> and I was like so happy that they were stoked about it. And oh, yeah, Sue's fun. Yeah. That's really special. Yeah. All right. May I spark you? Please spark me. All right. This spark, I'll just jump into it. So you, I think, have heard the story, Laura. So several years back, I took a series of acting classes with a great on-camera acting coach named Bob Krakauer. If you work in film and television- You know that name. If you act in film and television, you may know that name. Bob is this really, really fantastic uh, teacher and coach. He's a no-nonsense guy who came highly recommended by my film and TV friends. And I went to him because very specifically, when I when I have an issue, like when I have a specific issue, I like to go to the coach or the teacher that's going to help me like uh-huh. just go straight the to the specialist. Yep. <laughs> so I went to him specifically because when I worked on stage, I felt like I knew exactly what I was doing. I knew how, I just knew because I had clocked 10,000 hours on stage. I knew how to scale my performance for the size of the space. So if it's 50 chairs or a thousand seats, like I just knew how to dial it. I knew how to, not to be self-aggrandizing, but like how to hold the audience in my, in the palm of my hand. Have I mentioned Susan Blackwell is magic?
1: She's magic. Uh, You are. You knew how to do that. Absolutely.
0: I knew how to command, how how to draw focus to myself, how to release it, how to toss focus to someone else just by thinking it. So I just had spent so much time on stage and I really felt like I understood it. But when it came to on-camera work, Laura, I was just terrified. I didn't have that innate understanding of the relationship to the camera And all the fine technical skills that are required, the scale, the actual physical space, what Mm -hmm. I was and was not allowed to touch when I was on set, Mm -hmm. where I was and was not allowed to walk on set. And as a result, every time I was on set, which was regularly because I was working I was just panic stricken. You did not feel a sense of freedom
1: because you did
0: not. Correct Amando. Yeah. Bonzi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I felt that that constriction and like I was going to fuck up at every turn. Yep. That makes sense. But as I said, I believe in good coaches. I believe in specialists and yes. and also in my ability to learn and develop even very nuanced things around technical craft and art and creativity. So I just believe so much is, of it is learnable. And i just hadn 't had the exposure that 's right you you have that confidence you 're like, just
1: put me in a room with someone who has this knowledge, and i can I can it. get it I can learn it
0: yeah <laughs> i 'm reminded right now, Laura and I had a meeting an intense meeting today with a financial specialist about a very specialized financial thing. And I was just like, I told him at the outset, I was like, we're bright people, but we haven't been doing this for th- 30 years like you have. So just know, I'm going to ask you to repeat things. I'm going we're to- gonna repeat it back to you. Yep. We're going to ask you to repeat it back to us. We're going to ask you to say it again slower. <laughs> I'm going to take notes. I'm going to go back and watch the replay and take more notes. But we're going to get it. But we're going to get it. Yeah. And that's how I felt about this yeah. very specific- Acting for the camera thing, yeah, amazing. So, in summary, I went to study with Bob Krakauer to fill in what I didn't know. Yeah, Bob Krakauer was and is great. Changed my life. Yeah, provided me with this foundational information so I could audition for and act on camera. With so much less fear, so much more freedom. Thank you, Bob Krakauer. Yeah,
1: thank you, Bob.
0: But here's this fun twist. One of the most informative things that I learned about creativity and storytelling of all kinds came from Bob Krakauer. Laura, you have heard me talk about this little nugget before. Okay, Listeners, I'm certain you've heard me say this before, and if you have studied creativity or acting with me before, I know you've heard me say this.
1: <laughs> We've definitely gotten it.
0: You've got, you've heard it, but this is where it comes from. So awesome. I was doing this scene from the West Wing, and I finished, and Bob gave me some notes and said some nice things and... Bolstered my confidence. And then the last thing he said, I'll never forget it. The last thing he sort of threw off was, I'd like to see more change from the beginning to the end. But other than that, Ah. it's great. And this light bulb went off in my head. (laughs) And this is one of those things. Yeah. Once you know this, you're never going to watch your favorite actors or read your favorite stories the same way again. When you're like, that is really good, that thing I'm watching or that thing I'm reading or that story I'm listening to is so satisfying. See if what you're responding to in part is that something is changing before your very eyes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I believe that we as humans love stories. And one of the reasons we love stories is that whether it's the writing of Toni Morrison or someone doing a story time on TikTok, or it's a great scene from the West Wing or a piece of music that moves us. It's because we are getting to observe change. I think that we as humans love to observe change. I mean,
1: I think every good story is about something changing.
0: Changing. And nothing would ever be the same again. Yeah? That's right. Cams, do you have like a scene from a movie that you love? I know that you've been watching a lot of movies because you're studying screenwriting, but is there, is there something that you have seen? Or just think about like if I said, Cams, what's your favorite movie? What's one of your favorite movies?
1: Oh, Sense and Sensibility, Emma Thompson's version is like in my top five, but so is like role models and things like that. So, I love,
0: oh my God, I love that fucking movie. Are you talking change? Yeah. Sp- yes. Is there, if you're thinking of a specific scene that you love in that, are there shifts or changes throughout the course of that scene that she makes? The biggest example that comes to mind,
1: it's it's an obvious one, but you feel it most because her pattern throughout the whole movie has been to keep all of her emotions locked in and not Uh reveal her feelings. Um, And so when... She discovers that the man that she loves, played by Hugh Grant, is not, in fact, married. He's actually still available and has feelings for her. She, like, this flood comes bursting out from her, almost, like, uncontainable. Yeah, yeah. Ugly cry, like not a contained, beautiful, delicate little uh-huh. cry, but le- but the dam has opened. Yes, and there's no putting the toothpaste
0: back in the tube. How satisfying is that? So good, so yes. fucking good, so good, and that and the pressure has been building up to the change.
1: Yes, but Susan also in the same movie, the tiniest, tiniest, tiniest change is Alan Rickman. So he has been like. I wouldn't say romantically loving, but caring for Kate Winslet's um, character the whole time. And she doesn't pay him one bit of mind. She's in love with the handsome young man who screwed her over. But when Kate Winslet's character is sick, And potentially on her deathbed, Alan Rickman flies away on his horse, comes back with her mom, who you know she and she sees her mom, and she's very grateful and happy that her mom is there with her now. And Alan Rickman is just going to slink out of the room because he, you know, he's done what he can, and he, that's it. And she doesn't usually pay that much attention to him. She stops him before going out before he leaves. And she says, thank you, Colonel Brandon. Thank you. And in his face, Susan, the change in his face, Mm. not even a word, but his change is like, it's like he's been seen Mm. and it's beautiful. So on the opposite end of like, in terms of
0: like big acting and small acting. Subtle, subtle. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks for that. Thank you. That was fun. And beautiful illustrations of why we love observing change. So I'm going to tell you, jumping my own spark, a key, what do we make of this? If you are making something, anything, something's got to change, which brings me to my spark du jour, change in all its glory, in all its forms. That's right.
1: Can we sing that Brady Bunch song? Do you remember when? When uh, it's time to to
0: change, change. you've got to (laughs) rearrange. Thank you. I had not included that reference in this spark, but I'm so glad you did. (laughs) So change is something that we talked a lot about during the recent Spark File New Year creativity kickoff. Yeah. Many of the people there, and I'd venture many of the people listening to this podcast you're listening because you enjoy changing something in relation to your creativity, advancing it, refining it, and you're looking for sparks to feed the fire, to light the way. Absolutely. There's this Maya Angelou quote that we love. We delight in the beauty of the butterfly, but we rarely admit the change it has gone through to achieve that beauty. Love that Maya Angelou quote. And to put it another way, wow. met, so I heard this recently in The Spark that I'll get into, but many of us desperately crave transformation yes. while simultaneously desperately avoiding change. Oof, Because- That's the painful part. Yeah. So that can mean change personally for us as humans. But as you pointed out before, Cams, it can also happen to the characters we're creating. You have said this before about how we hesitate to subject our characters to painful change. That is correct if we can avoid it. Yeah. Well there's a well, there's
1: a storytelling um I don't know technique I guess you could describe it very quickly as you know your character has a goal they try to achieve it first the easy way. Yes. They don't get it. Then they try the hard way. And what that is short for, the easy way, is getting what they want without having to change. And, it, and they can't get it. Yeah. They're going to have to change in order to get what they want.
0: And that's the hard way. And that's what we want to see. I feel like the first time I heard that, you may have heard it earlier, but Greg Bonsignor came to work with the Sparkfile cohort. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think I'd ever heard it put quite that yeah. way before. But yes, that is it, isn't it? It is. They want, people want to get what they want. Yeah. Characters want to get what they want yes. with minimal change as possible.
1: Well, like, you know, I studied with a lot here at the independent film school and it's, a, it's the same thing. Everybody just has this different language for it, but a character has a pattern. They will try everything they can to get what they want without relinquishing that pattern that is... That is keeping them from it. Yes. And so finally, in the end, we come upon the question, will they change their pattern? Do they want it badly enough to change their pattern or will they not? And you can write it that they do not change. And that would be a tragedy, of course. Like, you, you those are those movies that you're like, no, no. I watched all of this. They're not going to
0: change. Yes. How can they
1: not change?
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Remember this that resistance to pattern shifting, I think, is very relevant to this spark. I want to talk about change today in many of its forms and how we as humans and artists can navigate lasting positive change. Yeah, baby. So recently, super sparkler Sarah Lapano, Hi Sarah! Hi Sarah! Shared a spark with us that blew my wig off. Uh, before I get to that spark, I just want to shout out Sarah. Sarah is a glorious photographer. Yes. Who began photographing the theater scene in Stratford, Canada, and her photography was recently published in the Toronto star
1: yes,
0: and it's gorgeous as is Sarah. Sarah, well done. I think Sarah has, in addition to being a glorious artist, has the heart of a teacher is such an innate spark seeker. And Sarah shared this great podcast with us. It's a two parter of Brene Brown's dare to lead podcast featuring an interview with Lisa Leahy. So this in turn, that podcast led me to the work of Lisa Leahy and Bob Keegan. Lisa and Bob are both on the faculty of graduate education at Harvard, and they have done a lot of research and writing around the concept of change, and specifically, how to close the gap between aspirations slash good intentions and actual behavior shifts. And together, they wrote a book called Immunity to Change. Ooh. That is what I want to talk about deeply today and all the forms of change. Oh, I'm excited. I saw you take a little note. Is there anything you want to say to me before
1: we launch, Laura Cameo? It was about Sarah. I wanted to, I was actually making a note to self. I want to write to Sarah and tell her how wonderful it is that she got her photos published in the Toronto Star. Oh. I just was raving in my mind about Sarah even more and uh, wanting to reach out and let her know.
0: Good gossip. Good gossip. We love that. Um, We like to spread good gossip. So in this podcast between Brene Brown and Lisa Leahy, what first caught my ear was this reference Lisa Leahy shared about a research study. In the study, seven at-risk heart patients were informed by their doctor that they must change or die. And Lisa Leahy calls this Ripe conditions for people to make a change. <laughs> there were clear needed behavior changes. For example, they must lose weight, stop smoking, exercise, consistently take their medication. There was high incentive. For example, you increase your chances of living a longer, healthier life. And time-wise, there was a sense of urgency. So life or death, high stakes, time-sensitive, ripe conditions, and clear needed behavior changes. And here's the gag of it all. Even with all of those ripe conditions in place, less than one human being out of the seven could make the necessary Changes.
1: It's hard.
0: It is. But Lisa Leahy stressed that it's very easy to make ungenerous interpretations towards the six people that couldn't navigate the change. But when it comes to desired changes, the situation is not that simple or clear cut. And when I was thinking about my own version of this, which the stakes are probably lower, but like lasting change that I want to make, I was like, I'm with you, six out of the seven people. Yes. Making lasting change, it can be really fucking challenging. I mean, even when
1: you know, I know exactly what needs to change. And yes. And still, yeah, absolutely. And still,
0: yeah. So Lisa Leahy points out that there is this myth that if a desired change is not happening, it's because you don't want it enough.
1: That's right. And it's, oh, get i yes i have thoughts but you keep going it is a
0: myth motivation she said motivation does matter but it's not sufficient it doesn't take into account the other unseen motivations that may be working at cross purposes with your desired goal or behavior change so saying that another way we may aspire to transform and even commit to it. But oftentimes, we are also experiencing other unconscious motivators that are controlling us and they can keep us stuck. She goes on to say that for most of us, we have one model of change that we all rely on. And you can bet that this really caught my ear. (laughs) The the New Year's model of change. (laughs) I heard this like right before the New Year's and I was like, "Uh, say more, Lisa Leahy. (laughs) So- in the New Year's model of change, you all know it. We name a resolution, and then we try to use willpower to pick yours, get healthy, stop drinking, stop smoking, lose weight, get organized, or I don't know, be more creative in the coming year. Oh,
1: finish that script. Do you, Fini- yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. God.
0: Finish yeah. the first draft of my memoir. Yeah, name it. That's right. So, Lisa Leahy gives us an example about how she's an avid exerciser. And every January she goes to the gym and there's not an available machine. And she said to Brene Brown, How long before you think I've got my pick of all the machines in the gym? Late February. Because that's about yeah. how long the New Year's model of change takes before it just
1: starts long- <laughs> right
0: out. Yep. Before it starts yep. right out. That's yep. how
1: long that willpower will that's how far it'll get you. Just trying to push with that. Yeah.
0: Just trying to white knuckle through it. So sometimes, uh, maybe for one of seven, uh, sometimes that New Year's model can work, but for most of us, there is something more complex going on that we need to address in order to implement lasting change. And that New Year's model is not nuanced enough and it doesn't give you a greater view of what might be going on inside of you.
1: What's going on.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So what can happen when we don't look at the forces in our life that may be working under the surface at cross purposes with our stated desired goals is similar to having one foot on the accelerator and you put your energy into moving towards that goal and having the other foot on the brake as your hidden goal or hidden counter-commitment engages. So if you're a little, if you as a creative or a human are a little car, you're basically standing still and just remaining in your version of status quo. Mm-hmm. So an example of that in the realm of creativity might be put on the gas. I have a goal to be more creatively self-expressed this year. And your hidden foot on the brake counter commitment might be, I don't want to upset anyone with my creative self expression. I've committed not to upset anyone, not, not my family, not not I don't want to shine too brightly with my creative self expression. So you have foot on the gas. I want to be more creatively self expressed this year. Foot on the brake. I don't want to upset anybody with that. So oh my god. So there's that little status quo. Oh. So. I thought it might be fun today to talk through some of the basics of Lisa Leahy and Bob Keegan's change work that totally sparked me and are making a big difference in my 2023. And if you want to hear this laid out beautifully in real time, I highly recommend you listen to that podcast with Brene Brown where she gets her mind blown by Lisa Leahy. (laughs) Lisa Leahy essentially walks Brene Brown through a change that Brene would like to make. And so I followed along with that podcast. And then I dug into Leahy and Keegan's book, Immunity to Change, and the top of my head opened up. Um, But I thought it might be (laughs) fun today, Laura, to talk you through. Uh, It could be- Something oh my like, gosh, maybe. Okay. I don't know. I don't want to put you on the spot. I'm ready. I'm ready. So I'm no Lisa Leahy, but uh, I'll talk you through it and really go to her and Bob Keegan's work to to really experience this. But Laura, if you mm-hmm. want, you can make four columns in your oh, notebook. Okay. Okay. In column one, you're going to define a commitment or an improvement goal for yourself. And according to Lisa Leahy, it's stated affirmatively. Mm -hmm. It implicates you, meaning it's on you, Laura Kamian. Your actions, behaviors, and choices can get you to this goal, not the actions, behaviors, or choices of others. It's important to you, like one to five, it's going to be like a four or a five in importance. You feel a sense of urgency around it. So if it's something you want to make, You'd regret it if you didn't make it and share it with the world in this lifetime. It would excite you personally and be a big deal if you were able to make big gains on this goal. It should not be something that would require a complete personality or skill (laughs) transplant. So Laura, if your goal is to become a first chair violinist (laughs) in a major orchestra in the next 12 months and you've never picked up a violin in your life, which to my knowledge you have not. That might be a tough one. That <gasps> Actually, might be tough. I have. Would I would shit myself if you just pulled out a violin
1: and you were like, "Actually, Susan, I've been practicing the clitter
0: clatter of a violin."
1: No, but I did. It's funny that you said violin because I did study. That's a really strong word for it. I did try to learn the violin, but at our first recital, I in first grade, I hid in the bathroom until it was over. Oh, <sighs> yeah. Oh, sweet little baby cams. It wasn't really a recital. It was just like this was going to be the first night you show your parents how well you're doing. And I had to go to the bathroom and stayed there. Never came back. I had no idea. That was the end of my violin career. But I could pick it back up. It's not too late for me to
0: be a prodigy. If you want to name that as your goal, (laughs) rock on. Okay, so super bonus. It could be something that's important to someone around you or others would value it highly if you Mm. got better at this or if you made this thing? Well,
1: I wrote down my thing. It doesn't, that one doesn't apply. Okay. That's okay. I still wrote something down. Okay. Do you want to say what it is?
0: Yeah, I do. What is it? So excited.
1: I am going to give myself the gift of getting more rest. I'm going to get more rest by going to bed By midnight every night.
0: Okay. This is a strong behavior change for you. It it would be even stronger if I said by 11. Do you want to go for it just for the sake of this exercise? Should I push myself? Yes, I'll do. I'll say by 11. Tell me if I'm wrong, but what Mm -hmm. I hear in your voice is that you don't want to fail at your goal and you're afraid if you say 11
1: Like tonight I'll fail at it because I'm like, oh, there's some stuff I want to watch tonight.
0: (laughs) This is over time. This is going to be over time. So you don't have to succeed tonight. Okay. This is not a task that you're going to do. But I'm going to move
1: my bedtime to 11 p.m.
0: Yeah. Okay. Over the course of some period of time. Yeah. Okay, great. Great. Okay. So that's column one, Mm -hmm. your commitment or your improvement goal. And you're going to write in there that your commitment or improvement goal is going to be to shift your bedtime to 11 p.m. consistently, yeah? Yeah, okay, great. In column two, you -hmm. can write at the top of this, doing slash not doing instead. So according to Lisa Leahy, in column two, you're gonna wanna take a fearless inventory of all that you are doing, Laura Kamian, or not doing that works against your column one goal. So these are gonna be concrete behaviors that get in your way including self-talk, not so much emotions or mind states, but like concrete things that you're doing or not doing that get in the way or work against your column one goal. You don't have to worry about why. This is not where you're going to write down what you're going to do to accomplish that column one goal, but make sure everything that you want to put in column two works against that column one goal. So what do you, just, what do you got? What do you think? Okay. So off the
1: top of my head, yeah, I like to watch my stories, watch my programs late at night. So I've got watching TV on the list. I also have my um, computer, like, cause I will think even at 1030 at night, I will think I could get a couple more things done today. Uh I could get a I could just you know I have energy I could do it yeah um so I do that I play canasta On my phone with people in other countries. It sounds like a party. See, good things happen. Good Good things things happen happen. in the hours, you know, from eleven to two. But I need to, I need to pair them back. But those are the types of things we're talking about.
0: Got it. Okay. Lisa Leahy noted something about this column too. She stresses that for most of us, when we get to the end of this column, we immediately go into problem solving, and maybe taking an action-oriented problem-solving approach by work but for most of us, these column two behaviors are serving a really good purpose, Mm. right? So in your case, they're providing you with some, I think, probably pleasure and uh, escape and rejuvenation. It's like me time. It's your, yeah. It's, It's me time. Absolutely. So she says, if we approach this with curiosity During this phase, this column two phase, instead of jumping into problem solving, Mm. it's a way to begin developing new circuitry in the brain. Yeah.
1: I want you to say that again, because I think this is the real departure point where... Other people might be like, uh-huh, yeah, I've made this, I've made this goal, I've made it, I understand what I'm doing. But then they go to problem solving and they go yes. to like, and yeah. my willpower and here's my new schedule and I'm going to do this every day. Totally. So this is
0: that juncture you're saying, let's take a left instead of going right. Correct. Let us remain open and curious. Mm-hmm. Let's not jump to problem solving and let us trust the process that is more nuanced. It's going to take more time. Mm -hmm. It's going to go deeper. But what they are aiming at here is not this new year's change model. It is more lasting behavior changes. Mm. So instead of just jumping to problem solving, you're right. I think you're right, Laura. I think this is where most of us are just like, and here's what I'm going to do about it. I can take
1: it from here. I know what to do. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. So- I think maybe at this moment, it might be a good time to thank ourselves for all those things in column two that have kept us safe or have provided us with pleasure and Laura time.
1: Made, it's made sure that I've had me time because yes. clearly during the rest of the day, I've not scheduled To quote our dear Juliet Gray, I've not scheduled myself into my schedule. Yes. And so I tack it on at night. These activities have made sure that I get some time that feels like it's just for me.
0: Okay, great. You're doing great. So this brings us to column three, which is what uh, they call hidden competing commitments. And also nestled within column three, we should draw a little box and we're going to name that. Our worry box. Mm. So what do we put in our worry box? Lisa Leahy encourages us to imagine ourselves engaged in the opposite of your column two behavior. So whatever you're doing or not doing in that column two behavior, we're going to engage in the opposite and really picture yourself engaging in the opposite of that. And she asks, like, what do you feel or think? What concerns, doubts, anxieties, and fears do you experience when you think about engaging in the opposite of that column two behavior?
1: Well, Suze, what I want to say is that it isn't just that watching TV, playing canasta, being on my computer is a problem. It's that I'm doing it at that time of night. Yeah. So the opposite would be these things would take place during my regularly scheduled hours during the day. So if that's where we are, then the worries that come up for me, if I schedule myself into my days, that I will not accomplish enough to be pleasing to other people, I will not be able to deliver to you, Suze, although you never put pressure on me, but in my mind, it's always been like a boss or an employer or an outside influence that I think values me really only for my output and what I get done. Yeah. And so my worry would be if I schedule myself into my days, I won't get enough done to please other people.
0: Aha. Uh-huh. That's aw- really awesome and gives you the uh which she talks about throughout her book and throughout the conversation with Brene Brown like really getting to the feeling like getting to the uh of it all
1: yeah which I
0: just heard come out of you
1: I just felt it oh gosh yeah
0: so these things in your worry box become the raw material for our column three commitments And our column three commitments, according to Leahy, she says we artfully protect ourselves from these worries and fears by creating these column three commitments and examples of these are often phrased in the negative. And examples of these include things like, I have a commitment to not feeling um, stupid, or I have a commitment to not seeming like I don't bring value to this relationship.
1: Well, is this phrased appropriately if I say, I'm committed to not letting anyone down? Yes. I'm I'm not going to let anyone down.
0: Oh, yes. Brilliant, 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 brilliant. The
1: second thing I wrote is not written in the negative, so I'm not sure, but it's, I'm committed to putting other people's needs ahead of my own.
0: I think, you know what? Let's go with it. Okay. Okay. Let's go with that because I feel like there's something true in that that came up for you. And I feel like with all frameworks, we must allow, and again, I'm not the expert on this, Lisa Leahy and Bob Keegan are, but I feel like it's great to let those things come up and be. So this brings us to column four, which they call big assumptions. And according to Leahy, you can get to these big assumptions in column four by asking yourself, what assumptions must I be making oh. that would keep me captive oh. or give rise to my column three commitment? So the, God, the sounds, Laura, the pain. Oh, sorry.
1: I'm just like, oh, uh, because the answers are coming in very clearly. The signal is strong. So
0: usually this, this starts with a phrase like, I assume. Yes. So, how would you end that sentence?
1: I assume people will only like me if I'm taking care of their needs. I assume people will only like me if I am producing for them or to their benefit.
0: Yeah. So, things in this column get to the generator. Of why you protect yourself and why we all protect ourselves in the ways that we do. (sighs) Yeah. Once you have surfaced this, Laura, and I have to pause and just thank you for your candor and for doing this little experiment with me because you're doing Great. I have to thank you for this therapy session. And everyone, it's nice to have you along for the ride. <laughs> I hope you all are playing along at home. Um, Lisa Leahy says, once you've surfaced these big assumptions, you'll be able to research And question these big assumptions with clear vision. If, with clear examination, we can see that these big assumptions aren't necessarily so accurate, then we may be able to begin taking the foot off the brake and begin to engage in different behaviors than those column two behaviors. Yeah. And engage in our column one commitments in a real way. So, here's some useful guidelines for this column four. And I know that this right now, if you're not playing along with us, this can sound just like a big math equation. But if you are playing along with this, this may make sense. Column four makes your column three hidden competing commitments necessary. These big assumptions connect back to your fears and take the fear deeper. So when you heard Laura Camion make that sound, uh. <laughs> yeah. That was her (laughs) connecting back to her fears and taking them deeper. These big assumptions usually have a bad conclusion for you, Laura. Mm -hmm. These big assumptions can feel real and powerful, even if you know they're wrong Mm -hmm. and they limit your world.
1: Also, I would like to say that it feels like they can be old
0: oh my god like this is old so old
1: i've i've like revamped my life and the people around me this isn't true yeah and so it's so interesting to to look at this and realize like i'm not really working on not watching tv at 11 p.m
0: yeah
1: i'm really working on soothing myself and uh, knowing that it is safe I am loved and cared for regardless of my productivity. I'm loved and cared for even if I put myself first or take care of myself or schedule myself into my day. Yeah. That does not take away from the love and care that people have for me. I mean, it's bananas to realize like, oh my gosh, we are so fixated on a thing. And we're like, I'm just trying to fix this behavior rather than that assumption.
0: Yes. And the thing I love about this work so much is I've been playing, a full disclosure, I've been playing around with my own version of this. And you can run this immunity to change work that this framework that Leahy and Keegan have developed, anything that you want to make a significant behavioral change, or you want to set a goal around, mm-hmm. you can run it through this work. And the things... That it starts to reveal these more nuanced things under the surface that if you don't, I'm sorry I'm repeating myself, but if you don't do a little bit of excavating and pay attention to, you can have the best intentions and all the willpower in the world. But Laura, I don't know. Maybe you did know this about yourself. Maybe you knew it and forgot it about yourself. But I don't know if you were working on changing your bedtime, that you would have been able to draw that line to something that may get it be a counter commitment that I have in place is around making sure that I'm pleasing others. And you know what I mean? If I'm honest, I think I probably would have said, I used to believe
1: that people only, you know, valued me for what I produced and my output. I don't believe that anymore. And I wouldn't have realized like, some part of me still thinks that, or I wouldn't be behaving in this way. I wouldn't be saving all the me time for 11 PM at night. Uh, I would feel safe and secure scheduling in time throughout the day to take care of me and what makes me happy.
0: Yeah. I want to take a moment to honor and acknowledge that there can be a whole lot of self-protective stuff going on inside us that may be working at cross-purposes with our stated goals Mm -hmm. around creativity. Mm. And these counter-commitments, as Laura was just saying, may have been in place for, I don't know, decades or so. And it takes time, according to the research that Leahy and Keegan have done, it takes time Time. Sometimes it can take 12 months of dedicated work to change your mind and your heart about things. Sometimes it can take weeks to do so. But if you don't address what's going on under the surface, 12 months or 12 weeks will still pass, and those unconscious counter commitments will still be operating, keeping you stuck. But just with compassion. That's right. To do all of this work with a great deal of compassion towards yourself, because there's a good reason you put those things in place, Laura, to keep you
1: safe. 100%. I completely agree.
0: And we all have our own version of that.
1: I really love that framework uh, and that lens that you're giving us to look at it through, because it seems like all of this would require kindness and grace towards ourselves. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is not like a, damn it, Laura, why can't you stop watching TV at 11 p.m.? Like a reason to beat up on myself, but rather a a question, a curiosity. Why does it feel necessary to start watching television at 11 p.m.? when I know that rest is what I need right now. Right. And to dig deeper and deeper and deeper of like, oh, baby girl inside of me, that's why it feels important. And it feels like it's the only time that you can do that. And I, you know, to really hear that with such kindness and understanding. Yeah. Rather than self punishment or shame.
0: Yes to that. And also I'm reflecting back on something that you said earlier when we were in our column two, Mm -hmm. what we're doing and not doing that runs counter to that that change we want to make. And you said, this is where we typically kind of like fuck ourselves because we go into like action and willpower. Muscle it. Yeah. Muscle it. And I just really think that these com- hidden competing counter commitments have such deep roots. Some of them going back to when we were kids. That's right. Like it is going to take real time. And what they talk about in their work and in their book is not going for the task. So, in your case, Laura, the task would be by hook or by crook, I'm going to muscle myself into bed with screens down by 11 Mm p.m. So that would be completing a task. Mm -hmm. What they suggest is something more like a series of research experiments Mm. where you're sort of like setting yourself up for a little bit of research. Mm -hmm. You know, if I do this, if I change these factors, I'm going to run the experiment, but it's not to complete a task. It's to start collecting research on yourself. And they set it up really beautifully in the book because you track through with some sort of case studies throughout. Yeah. And they give very specific examples about how, and you see it, you're like, yeah, I can see how that would create lasting change over time. Wow. Yeah.
1: This is incredible. It's really incredible work. And how lucky am I that you have learned about this?
0: I think that I have done either. Around column two, what are you doing, not doing? I've seized onto that and tried to just muscle myself into change with that sort of willpower New Year's model. And I think that I've also gotten to a place around about, I don't know what column, I'm going to say even the final column, like um, big assumptions. And I've been like, God, I don't know what to do about that. Uh Like just sort of like bailed out because I'm like, well, I don't know. That's my big assumption. The end. And I love the option of setting up, not just tasks that you're going to like complete, but kind of like running a, a series of research experiments on yourself to bring about more lasting change. God, I feel like I've repeated myself four times. But as you can see, I'm still integrating all of this into my very own brain.
1: And so are we. So this is great. I'm t- I'll take it.
0: You know what I actually think would be fun, Laura, is one of uh, what do we make of it would be I'd love to set some time aside and do some quiet work to just map this out for ourselves. And then you and I can compare oh, oh, notes with each other and it. kind of like run our research and report back to each other. Yeah.
1: I would love that because it would be so fun to then just as we make discoveries, you know, we'll continue over time to report into each other. You know what I discovered was this and yes. I noticed this. I tried this, but this happened. It would be so great to know what you're working on and what I'm working yeah. on. Oh, I'd love that. Sue's. Again, I say,
0: I'll repeat myself, how lucky am I? How lucky am I? This is awesome. So on Brene Brown's podcast, when she was rumbling with this work herself, she likened it to the moment in The Empire Strikes Back, if you know that movie, uh, where Luke is with Yoda in the swamp, and he goes into the dark side cave to face his fear, Mm. and his fear is embodied by Darth Vader. So they spar with lightsabers, and Luke cuts off Darth Vader's head. Then Darth Vader's mask crackles away to reveal that the face inside of Darth Vader's mask is Luke. It is Luke! And so Brene Brown was reflecting on how we are often creating and perpetrating the blocks that keep us Mm. From our deepest desires. Isn't
1: that what we mean when we say it's an inside job? It's an inside job. It's us working to protect ourselves or keep ourselves safe, but it's us.
0: Yeah. That scene is based on the work of Joseph Campbell, The Cave mm-hmm. You Fear to Enter May Hold the treasure you mm-hmm. Seek. Or insight about how you are working at cross purposes against yourself. You are your own Darth Vader. You are your own Darth Vader. And your Darth Vader will not let you until now go to bed at 11 o'clock. Watch out now, though. He wants to keep you awake. Oh, damn, That's dark. a terrible Darth Vader. So <laughs> I, I just love this book, Immunity to Change, by Lisa Leahy and Robert Kagan. And it provides step-by-step guidance for ways you can identify what changes you would like to undertake and a research-based approach to implementing lasting change. It is very nuanced work. It requires real work, but I feel like thanks to these researchers slash authors, we have this great framework to give change a fighting chance.
1: Oh my gosh, everybody. I can't recommend it highly enough. I'm feeling buzzy. You know, that like just incredible feeling when you're like, A little new neurons are popping off in my brain and a greater understanding of something. It's really wonderful.
0: The best.
1: Thank you so much for this spark, Suze.
0: This was so great. I have to point it all back to uh, Lisa and Bob getting it done up there at Harvard. Lisa and Bob, we thank you. So so what do we make of it? If you're Lisa and Bob, it's your life's work. This has been their life's work to create research and frameworks and curriculum and consulting practices around lasting change. And I'm very thankful to them. So I'm sure you're not listening, but wherever you are, thank you. If you're an artist or a creative, you may want to commit to change and utilize a framework like this to navigate that change. So I encourage you to think about what changes you'd like to see in your approach to creativity. Would you like to be more prolific? Would you like to be more committed to your creative practice? Would you like to be a better collaborator? Would you like to be more fearless in the work that you make and share? Would you like to identify old narratives that may be working against those potential changes? You can do this work solo by reading and working through Immunity to Change and actually doing the work. Or you could do it like Laura and I are going to do it with fellow creatives. Keep us on track. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If you're making something, you may want to look at your work and make sure that it exhibits change. In the words of Bob Krakauer, I'd like to see, I'd like to see a little more change from beginning to end. Sus,
1: I can I, can I add to
0: that? Yes. It's just
1: like when you, especially if you are writing characters, I personally love characters who believe they're telling the truth, but we can see that they're not like, we can see something that they can't see. Yeah. And so this framework is really interesting when you have a character who states a goal, but we can see they have a competing belief based on like the, their behaviors They have a competing belief that is keeping them from that goal. Yes. And what we get to watch is them discover what that is and how they're going to overcome that. But it's really great character development work too.
0: I love that. I mean, just
1: like on a simple, super simple level, like you see any, any rom-com, a character who says they want love and Deeper connection. And then everything about their life is like, oh, they have a belief system that they're terrified of love. People will hurt them. This is what I wanted
0: to circle back to patterns. Yes. Patterns, patterns, patterns. 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 Yes. Yes.
1: Yes. Exactly.
0: This work is pattern changing work. It is pattern changing
1: work. It absolutely is. And so it's like us looking at ourselves as characters like, what is that pattern that we're hanging on to that is keeping us from reaching our goal? And even deeper, why is it there? You know, what is the belief system that is propping it up? How can we get to the bottom of it?
0: Love that, Laura Kamian. Another what do we make of it? I think it's interesting to observe when an artist chooses either not to show change or to show minimal change. Uh And I think an example of this is John Steinbeck's The Grapes of Wrath. We have a character... Like Lenny, who almost acts as a constant. So he's sort of like, just sort of like, tell me about the rabbits, George, tell me about the rabbits, George, tell me about the rabbits, George. And while it could be argued that he doesn't evolve much at all, the character, all the characters around him change largely in relation to him. And I think it can also be argued that he does show change, like he goes from sort of his lovable, placid self to agitated. So we do see change like that. But I think it's really fun to also play around with if you are a maker, if you're a storyteller, where where do we not see change in characters and how that can be frustrating? It can be, spoiler alert, deadly.
1: It can be illuminating because sometimes yeah. you have a character who represents life without that pattern. Yes. So if you're showing a pattern, like a cultural pattern or a societal pattern that everybody is this way, and then we have a character like – like elf who shows up and is not that pattern. yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so sometimes it's the absence of it yeah that helps us to it, it illuminates the pattern that uh, that others are trapped by.
0: Yeah, and it's almost like the other characters like in their reaction to it, they bump up against it. that's right. and often they are changed. By it. By it,
1: exactly. Yeah.
0: By that person's, I wouldn't even say unwillingness to
1: change, but the fact that that person does not change under the weight of all these other things, it can change others around them.
0: I'll just end with this. I think it's Cheryl Strayed in her teachings talks about the invisible last sentence of every great story, every great movie is... And nothing was ever the same again.
1: Oh, yes. So
0: good. The invisible last sentence. And I think, yeah. again, it's another way of saying show us change.
1: Show us change. Like we, to get to that sentence, you have to have shown us change. And again, without that change, you have a tragedy. And you, the tragedy version of that invisible sentence is, and nothing will ever change. In this land, in this world, yeah. And nothing will ever change, which is devastating when we see yeah. that. But if you've shown us change, you get us to and nothing was ever the same again.
0: I like to think that in regards to your bedtime after this conversation, and nothing was ever the same again, Laura Camia. And nothing was ever the same again, Susan. Thank you. If change was that easy, but we're gonna we're gonna work on it. This
1: will be the line of demarcation. It'll be like my life before that podcast episode with Susan talking me through that, right? And my life
0: after. I love it. This was amazing. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Laura, for being so game, oh. friends. That's it. This episode of The Spark File was made on the lands of the Lenape people, and as always, we hope it put another bunch of sparks in your file. If there is a spark that you'd like us to explore, or if you'd like to learn more about how to coach with us to bring your creative ideas to life, email us at thesparkfile at gmail.com, or you can submit us little inquiries, love letters, mash notes through our website, the sparkfile.com, we will even add to that list. We will take your feedback. But
1: to give us feedback, you know the price of admission. First, you have to share a creative risk
0: that you have taken recently. You can follow us on social at The Spark File and be sure to subscribe, rate, and five-star review this podcast. It really, really helps other listeners to find us. Also, if you like this podcast, we hope you'll share it with people that you love. And if you didn't like it, change to a different <laughs> podcast, you sons <laughs> of beasts. To, to, to change it. If
1: something lights you up, friends, if it gets your creative sparks flying, if it just, I don't know, illuminates something for you, just know that we are writing you a forever permission slip to make that thing that has been knocking at your door. It is your turn to take that spark and fan it into a flame.
0: You know you got to take it and... Make, make it. it! Make it, friends! Time to face the strange Change. changes! God, they're rolling over in their graves. Yeah. When I bump into something that inspires me, I dump it in my spark fire. Could be something that I wanna make or how I wanna be. I pump it in my spark fire. I jump into my spark file. Let's open up the spark fire. Hi, friends. It's Susan Blackwell from the spark file, your one stop shop for creativity where our doors are open. And if you smell something delicious, that's because Laura Camion and I have been cooking up something special, something designed to make a big difference in people's creative lives. Enter the Brave Creative, a free five-day guided adventure to rediscover the vitality, energy, and possibility in your creative process. Whether you're a writer, a performer, a baker, a candlestick maker, navigating the creative process can be a bear. But never fear, there's power in numbers at the Spark File. So let's link arms and make the trip together. It's May 13th through 17th, 7 p.m. Eastern, less than one hour per day. And if you can't join live, don't worry about it. You can watch the replay. Join us by going to thesparkfile.com to register. And hey, if you're not familiar with the Sparkfile, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Secondly, we work with hundreds of creatives of all different kinds who are ready to take their next big step. We help folks fear less and create more in a community that is so fun and vibrant. And if you have joined us before, know that we are going deep with the Brave Creative. So buckle up, Buttercup. It is going to be an awesome adventure. Go to thesparkfile.com to register, but do it soon because it all starts May 13th. thesparkfile.com. Register now.